morning. I'm going to read from Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadily in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the world, for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is ought to be, how we ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how we ought to answer each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Connie. We're going to wrap up our series in the book of Colossians this morning. So you've seen we're in Colossians 4. We're going to camp out and finish it up. We'll be done and move on. So I remember uh, when I was, I was a youth pastor, we were uh, partnering with a church plant in New Orleans. And we would go down there twice a year and we get to go to Mardi Gras. And uh, that was exciting and different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, there were kids everywhere. It's a big parade, a big celebration. And we got to go be out there and, uh, and connect with people and invite them uh, to the church plant and to, to talk with them and to share the gospel with them. And one of the things we did was, uh, you know, um, You've been to big, you know, community things, and I mean, there's million people out here, and so there's porta johns all over the place. Well, what's the worst thing that happens when you walk into a porta john? There's like no toilet paper, right? And then what happens when you come out and you just feel gross? So what we did was we hung out outside of the porta johns with our uh, the, the shirt that showed that we were part of the church plant, and we had uh, toilet paper that we would keep stocking it with. And when they came out, we had hand sanitizer to give them, and they were like. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Thinking they're just lathering up, you know what I'm saying? And so we did that, and while we were doing that, we got to, I mean, you know, you've been to fairs and stuff, right? And so there's just crazy long lines. And so we just got to stand there beside these nasty Porta Johns and talk to people, right? Get to know who they were and get to talk to them about the gospel. Get to talk to them about the church plant and the things that they were doing and how they could be a part of that and how Jesus loved them and all these kinds of things. And it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. And it, and it seemed so easy. So easy just to talk to people about Jesus with no care in the world. But the fascinating thing to me that I found out was that when I got home, it wasn't easy anymore. And I was like, what, what changed? What was different? Why can't I stand out by nasty porta johns and talk to people about Jesus, but I can't talk to people about Jesus wherever I end up going that day? Why is it so difficult? For some reason, it's different for us. For some reason, we can go to Uganda and go across the ocean and talk about Jesus, but talking about Jesus at work is different and more difficult. And I'm afraid that we all have this problem, that we want people to come to faith. We all desperately do. And we're willing to invite them to church. We're willing to invite them to an event like a movie night. But to actually talk to them about Jesus is like really difficult really hard, and we often don't do it. As Paul wraps up his letter to the Colossians, he has made sure that they knew first things, that they got first things first. He's made sure that they understood what the gospel was, who Jesus is. And he's made, even made sure that they understand that the implications of that, how it changes our lives, what it means and what it doesn't mean for us. 
But as Paul gets to the end of the letter, he wants to make sure that they understand that they get all of these things, but particularly that right doctrine, getting first things first, always leads to right practice. Believing the gospel always leads to sharing the gospel. When you have been changed by grace, you can't help but share that grace with those around you. You can't help it. Four things I want us to see this morning in this text about sharing the gospel. First, we share the gospel simply where we are. Verse 3, he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So here's Paul, right, who is, who is being punished for preaching the gospel. He's literally in jail for preaching about Jesus, right? And yet he's in jail and he's still not stopping talking about Jesus. And he tells them, pray that while I'm in prison, that God may open a door for me to share with people in prison the gospel. He wants an opportunity to share with those he's in a cell with and those who put him in the cell. He wants to share the gospel with his jailers, with his fellow inmates, and those who take him out routinely to flog him, who ridicule him and beat him and mock him. See, Paul sees his current situation, his current circumstance, not through the lens of, oh, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't deserve this. God, have I not been good? Have I not done everything you've wanted me to do? How could you do this to me? That's not what he's doing. That's not at all what he's doing. He sees it as an opportunity that God has placed him there for the particular task to share the gospel with those there in the prison with him. See, Paul. And Paul puts my excuses to shame. Paul's life had purpose. He had been so changed by grace on the road to Damascus that he had received, and his life now was marked by a mission, unwavering focus. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm doing. See, Paul realized that wherever he was in the moment, whatever his present circumstances were, that God had placed him there in that time, in that moment, with the very purpose to share the gospel with those people he was around. And I hope you realize this morning that the same thing is true of you. You see, there are no random circumstances in your life. The job you have, whether you hate it or love it, where your kids go to school, the ball field your kids play at, and the particular bleachers you sit on, the gym you work out at, the playground you take your kids or grandkids to, everything in your life is a platform by which God has placed you so that you might share the gospel, so that you might give hope to those who have no hope. So that as you watch the game, you might develop a relationship with that parent that you sit beside week in and week out that you might share the gospel with them. I had an opportunity this week to visit with Rachel who was just singing up here, her stepdad, who, uh, who's, in the, who's in hospice, who has been going through blood transfusions and has been in pain and has been weak and is facing his last days in this world. 
and I got to go meet him, and he was sharing his testimony with me about how he came to faith at an early age, but then uh, went into the army and kind of strayed, strayed away from the Lord. And after he got out of service, his brother gifted him a Bible. When he got this Bible, he said it changed his life, and it put his life back on track and, and all these things. And, 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 and he had his, that Bible, that same Bible that his brother had given to him a long time ago, he still had it with him, and he, and he pulled it out. I mean, this thing was tore up. Oh, there it is. There it is. Check that thing out. I wish I could pinch it and zoom in, but I can't. I mean, the cover's messed up. The pages are rolled over. It could hardly be read. You, you know there's that quote from Charles Spurgeon that says that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And here's a man who's physically falling apart. Physically falling apart, literally. But his life wasn't. And in spite, in spite of all this man's pain, being stuck in the hospital, staring death in the face, it's not falling apart. Instead, he is literally sharing Jesus with every nurse that walks in his room, every doctor he's seen, every person who's come to visit him. He's made sure that they know who Jesus was. He's talked to them about him. It was said of him, his name's Ed, but that's just who he is. He shares Jesus with everyone he meets. I've met this guy one time, and I'm like, man, I want to be like Ed. God, make me like Ed. And I'm not falling apart. I'm sharing Jesus with everyone. You know, many of, uh, many of you in this room have grown up in church. And you, you kind of know church answers and know things. You understand the gospel. You understand Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. And you, and you get all those things. And hear me, a lot of times you take those truths for granted. They seem so basic to you, they seem so elementary to you that everybody should understand them. But can I, can I say to you that most likely the person that you sit next to on the bleachers at the baseball game or the football game or at the park bench while your kids are playing, they may understand the word Jesus, they may understand that name, they may understand Christianity as a concept, but they don't understand the gospel. And there you sit with the, with the message of hope. They don't understand that we take for granted. But God has placed you there in that place, in that moment, in that second. So that you might share that hope that you have, that you've grown up with, that you know with them. You see, God gives divine appointments. And like Paul, we need to pray for divine appointments. What would happen if we all started out our day and prayed just like Paul prayed, Lord, please open up a door for me for the word today. Now, what would happen, seriously, what would happen if, if, if everyone in this room started out our day and we said, Lord, open up a door that I might share the gospel. Oh, my goodness, church. Oh, my goodness. We would turn this city on its head. It would, it would rock Warren County and beyond. If we got up every day and said, Lord, give me, open a door so I'm going to share the gospel and give me the courage to follow through it. If we did that, it would be amazing. You want revival to happen? It's not going to happen by us getting a tent and going out in the backyard and inviting people to it. It's going to happen when we go out there and share the gospel. Let me, let me have an honest moment with you for a minute. I am really glad and thankful that um, people would come to our church from other churches in some situations. You move out of town, 
you're looking for a new church, I'm grateful for people who are Christians to, to find a church home here. And there are legitimate reasons to leave a church, absolutely. And there are not very good reasons to leave a church. But I don't want us to be a better mousetrap. I don't want us to be just a better church where people can go to because, oh, man, I like the music better over there or I like the preaching better over there or I like their facilities better or I like this or like that. We can't be that. Our mission is not to provide a better service so that we can steal sheep from across the road, the church down the street. Our mission is to share the gospel, to see people's lives transformed, and to see them cross over from death to life. Guys, we can see that kind of thing happen here. We can jack our water bill up so high because we're filling the baptistry up way too often. What a good problem to have. We just leave it in there and let it get green. That will happen here, if and when. If we stop just inviting people to church and we go share Jesus with them where we live. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye for a moment those places you routinely go, whether it be work or the playground or the ball field. And I want you to imagine in your mind's eye the people that you regularly see and all the people around you. And I want you to realize that God has charged you with sharing the gospel with those people. That's why you're there. You think you're there because your kid needs to play ball. You think you're there to get a paycheck, but really you're there so that you might be the light of the world to them. First thing we see is that we must share the gospel where God has placed us. But second, we must see that when, to share the gospel, we must use words. And that sounds like a really simple point. But I hope you'll see that it's not. Verse 4 says, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Jesus has called us to share the gospel. And we need to be clear about what that means and doesn't mean. Inviting to someone to church is great. Please invite people to church. But do not mistake yourself that that's sharing the gospel because it's not. Inviting someone to camp is great. Invite people to camp. But that's not sharing the gospel. Leaving a track, which is one of those little cards, you know, that says stuff about Jesus on it. As your tip or with your tip is not sharing the gospel. They might not even read it. And please, for the love of all that is good and holy, don't leave a track in place of a tip. Have y'all seen those ones that it's like it's like a million dollars? It's like a fake million dollar thing, and don't leave that on a waitress on your. T- don't do it. Can you just imagine the reaction? Like, are you serious? No. <laughs> Talking to someone about God and arguing with them about evolution is not sharing the gospel. And maybe worst of all, you've probably heard this phrase, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that, but that is not sharing the gospel. You living a good moral life as an example, as a churchgoer, or someone who doesn't cuss or doesn't drink, that is not sharing the gospel. Your life does not communicate anything. No one has ever been saved because they're like, What do you mean? Billy doesn't drink? Oh my gosh, I need Jesus. That doesn't happen. Bob Bob doesn't cuss. Oh my gosh, I need to be saved. Fill the tank up with water. Put me in it. 
That doesn't happen. No one's looking at your life and, and understanding what is going on and needing Jesus. The gospel is only shared when we speak it and share it with words. And when we use the right words, the gospel is a message. It is good news. And good news must be proclaimed. It must be heralded. It must be said. It must be spoken through words, not actions. And as Paul writes, it must be clear. There is a, there's a mega church and a mega church pastor who one particular Sunday morning was up preaching and it was a church where they had that big old giant choir loft in the back and it was one where uh, they stay in the choir, you know, while he's preaching, which got to be so weird. It's like, man, y'all staring at me. What y'all doing back there? And so that's got to be weird, but they're, but they're all back there, right? And he's preaching and during the service, somebody has a heart attack. And it's kind of off to the side or whatever, and, and, and there's some doctors in the church, and they rush over there, get him, take him out, and are, are handling that. And so he's preaching, and the doctor opens the doors in the back while the preacher's preaching, and he looks at him, and he goes. So he goes, oh, okay. And he, and he continues to, he doesn't stop and pray. He just, he preaches the whole message, whole 45 minutes. And goes on, and after the service, he goes and he gets in the car, and his wife gets in the car with him, and he didn't need to interpret any kind of sign from her. He could just sense there was something wrong, and he's like, honey, what's the matter? Men, you know what I'm talking about. You just sense it, and they're always like, nothing. Nothing's the matter. What's the matter? She goes, she looks at him, she goes, you are the most despicable, uncaring, job-focused, self-centered man I've ever met in my entire life. He's like, what did I do? She goes, you're up there preaching and only care about yourself. A man died in church and you didn't even stop. And she went, this man, he died? He was dead. And so he stopped the car, turned around, went back to the church. The doctor was still there. He ran to the doctor. He goes, what did this mean? He went, you, it means what you think it means. He's fine. He's like, Okay, thanks. Next time I need more than this because I have a whole choir that thinks I'm a jerk. See, words matter because we mess up signs. This and this is about all you get right. Everything else is open to interpretation. The gospel must be clearly articulated. And let me push a little bit more on this. Simply telling someone Oh, this might step on your toes, church. Simply telling someone to ask Jesus in their heart is not sharing the gospel. Telling someone that they need to make Jesus their personal Lord and Savior is not sharing the gospel. You may mention those things. They may or may not be helpful, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us, forgiveness, new life, and resurrection from the dead. It is not asking Jesus into your heart. What does that even mean? How do you, what does that mean? Like, put him in here? The Bible doesn't even say, use that language. That's not the gospel. You can only make the gospel clear if you understand it. And to the extent you understand it, you will not just share a surface level kind of gospel, but you will be able to speak it clearly to others. You won't just have this, uh, uh, this kind of gospel where you almost kind of got to read it. Okay, step one, okay, have you done this? Step two, okay, have you done that? No, but you'll begin to talk about it. When you understand it deeply, you'll be like Tyler if you go talk to Tyler about hunting. You'll be there a while, right? Because he can talk to you about every side, every angle, up or down, this tree stand, that tree stand, this bullet, that bullet, this kind of scent, this dopey. What? I mean, go, I mean, just go on and on and on. 
I lived with them for a week and we are still going on and on. And when you understand the gospel as deeply as he understands hunting, you can go on and on and see it from every angle, every side, and you can apply it particularly to people's situations. Not give them a generic formula for the gospel, but say, hey, I understand this is what's going on in your life, and this is how the gospel comes to you particularly. See, the deeper we understand the gospel, the better we can apply it to people and the situations they live and I love how Tim Keller says how we should share the gospel. He says, the way you share the gospel should be so captivating that when unbelievers hear it, they wish it were true. Do you share the gospel like that? That when unbelievers hear it and don't believe it, they wish it were true. They wish it were true. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save Going to church doesn't save anyone. Going to camp doesn't save anyone. Having a particular brand of church and music doesn't save anyone. Only the gospel can save. And so we got to use words to share it. So we share the gospel where we are. We share the gospel with words. But three, we back up the gospel with our life. Some of you thought I wasn't, our life didn't matter, but it does. The gospel must be shared with words, yes, but that doesn't mean your life is irrelevant. Verse 5 and 6 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, right? Making the best use of the time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, it ought, how you ought to answer each person. All right, so how do you walk in wisdom? When I was growing up, I had a youth pastor who loved to make us feel really bad about ourselves. And one of the ways he did that was he would talk about people who ruined their testimonies. You know, hitting your thumb with a hammer and saying a cuss word, oh man, just ruined your witness. Just ruined your witness. And we'd just make us feel bad and, and tell all these kinds of stories about how, and he thought if we could be super holy, super good people, that people would get saved. That our life mattered so much because unless we were so holy that nobody would come, but if you're not careful, what ends up happening is the opposite. That you come across like a self-righteous, stuck-up person that no one wants to be around and definitely doesn't want to listen to. Because you think you're better than everyone else, above everyone else. And when people talk to you, they feel like you're judging them right here, right now. But on the other hand, if there is nothing different about your life, there's no change in your life, you still, like you, still live like you did before you became a believer, then no one will care what you have to share with them because it didn't change your life either. Why would I listen to it? Mark Dever, when he took his first pastorate in the hills of North Carolina, also known as the Promised Land, he went to visit his aunt who wasn't really regularly in church and um, they were sitting and just, just talking, catching up, drinking coffee with one another and she said, so Mark, what does bring you here? And he said, well, actually I've, I'm moving here, and I'm taking this church just down the road. And that lively conversation they were having kind of got quiet, and her coffee got really interesting as she kind of just looked down and played with it. And she said, well, Mark, I'm, I'm happy for you, but you won't see me down there at that church. And he said, why is not? Why is that? Why, why won't you come down there to that church? And she said, well, there's just a bunch of pit of vipers down there, just a bunch of gossips and hypocrites and just mean, ugly people, just a bunch of pit of vipers. Okay, okay, I understand that. And he looked at it and he said, but, but isn't the world just full of pit of vipers too? 
And she said, yeah, but at least they know it. I said, okay, okay. I said, you know, really, I think it's the opposite. I really think that it's the church who knows they're a pit of vipers, jacked up, messed up people, and the world who doesn't know it. And he looked at his aunt and he said, and you can slither on down anytime you want. You see, people need to see that we don't think that we are so holy and above everyone else. And they also don't need to see us living like everyone else. They need, instead, they need to see that there is something different about us, something new in us, something that was broken but is being repaired, being made new. Like my buddy Zach, who uh, I met who was in the Navy, and Zach was living a rough life, and, but he came to faith while he was in the Navy. And one night, Zach got a drunk call from one of his sailor buddies, and he kept saying to him, man, you're different. What's changed? Why are you acting different? Why are you happy all the time? Why are you always happy? You're just always happy. He didn't understand that something had so transformed Zach's life that his whole world was changing, his attitude was changing, his persona was changing, and he couldn't understand what in the world could change a person from the A to B, from death to life. You see, people will see the difference that grace makes in your life. It will make them curious. It will make them wonder what happened, but we have to follow that up with the words of the gospel. The evidence of your life changed is, an, is not enough to save someone. It is only enough to open the door to the gospel or prove the gospel to be true. Share the gospel where you are. Use the words. Let your grace-filled life back it up. And then finally, share the gospel now. Verse 5 says, making the best use of the time. I got a really sad text from my mom I think it was three days ago, three, four days ago. I woke up, mom texted me. I'm like, why did she text me so early? And I opened it up. She said, hey, I just want you to know that so-and-so girl that I grew up with I was in a car crash last night and died. And her three-year-old and three-week-old were with her, but they're okay. I was just like, man, that is so sad. That is so tragic. She wasn't, she wasn't playing in that car wreck. She had her whole life in front of her. But guys, time is short. We think we got all the time in the world, but it is, it is short. And maybe not just for you, but for the people sitting on the bleachers next to you at the ball game. What are you waiting for? Why are you putting off sharing the gospel when people die every day and will go and face judgment? Why don't we share when we're the only hope that they have? Is it because you're embarrassed? Is it because you don't know what to say, you're insecure? Is it because you're afraid of rejection? What is it that would stop you from telling people about the only hope that keeps them from going to hell? Penn and Teller, those magic guys, the tall one, I don't, remember, I don't know if he's Penn or Teller, but the tall guy. He was at a show one night and there was a guy who came up to him and handed him a little Bible and said, hey, don't, I'm not going to take your time. I just want to give you this. Read this if you, if you can. And he took it and, and he actually read it. And he made a YouTube video to talk about this experience. And he said, you know, I'm not mad at this guy. He came up and gave me the Bible. I don't, he's, and he's a hardcore atheist. Hardcore atheist. He said, I'm not judging this guy, not mad at him, whatever. 
He said, if what this man really believes is true, he better tell me it. And he said, because if what this man believes is true, and if I'm going to die and go to hell, how much do you have to hate someone and not share the gospel with them? This is from an atheist. An atheist said, how much do you have to hate me to not share this with me? He said, this is the first time someone's ever came up and done this. How much do you have to hate someone not to share the gospel with them? See, the time to share the gospel is not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not after you get settled into your job. It's not after you're comfortable enough with the parent that you've been sitting beside on the bleachers for the last five years. The time to share the gospel is right now. Right this second. Because it might be too late. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like those guys who come up here and try to scare everyone. Oh, you might leave and die. But I also want you to feel the urgency of this. We've got a lot going on in our lives. I get that. I get that. But you've been made a child of God. You've been made an ambassador to the kingdom of Christ. And you have been placed in an embassy where you are a shining light of hope in the darkness. Do your job. You've been tasked and called. You might have opportunity this week as you gather with your family for Thanksgiving. And most likely, most of us in this room, as you gather with your family and friend for Thanksgiving, there's going to be people in that room eating dinner with you, visiting with you who are not believers, who you weep for, who you hurt for, and you don't know what to do. First pray, but you've got to share. It's their job to accept it and believe, but you've got to share. Don't waste the time. And it doesn't have to be like this. So have you all seen the GIF that came up this week? You know a GIF is like a little short video where people put words on top, right? There's a little GIF that it said, uh, bringing up politics or religion at Thanksgiving. And it showed a guy had a little fire. He took some gasoline and threw it on it. And it like came up at him and he turned and he's like on fire. Right? That's what it's like to share politics or religion at Thanksgiving. It doesn't go well. But that doesn't have to be like that this holiday. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Let them be gracious, kind, and humble. Ask a lot of questions and genuinely listen. Do a lot of listening. Don't do a lot of preaching. Do a lot of listening and a lot of loving. Pray for a divine appointment. Pray for boldness. And pray that God would soften their hearts and open their ears. You can't soften their heart. You can't make them listen. God can. Your job is not to save anyone. Your job is simply to share the message and let God handle the rest. So if you're here this morning, I want to tell you something. If you're here this morning and you, you hate religion, you don't like church, you're here for whatever reason, or, or maybe you love religion and, but have never had a relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you something. You look around this world and you just see brokenness and decay and heartache and upset, things that upset you. You see sickness and people dying. You see divorce and you see just hurt. You think, how could a God, good God make a world like this? Pain everywhere. I want to tell you that God is telling a story that he is going to fix all of this. That he loved you so much that he's going to fix it all. He's going to fix you. He's going to fix the world. He's going to bring justice and right it all. And he loved you so much that he sent his son to take on all of the hurt of the world. To take on all the curse and brokenness and crap in this world. He took it on himself to pay the penalty so that he could undo it. 
And God is inviting you into that story to be made new, to for the curse and the brokenness in you and around you to be undone. God will make you new, give you hope, give you joy. And he'll forgive you of everything you've ever done. If you would just bow your knees and come to him as Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, guys, let's work to see our church grow. Not by competing with other churches around us, not by stealing sheep, but through proclaiming the gospel and seeing people's lives changed. See, God can transform this whole area, this whole city, this whole county. And there's only one message powerful enough to do it. And it's a message that must be shared. Last thing, listen to this. God so loved the world that he sent you into your work, onto the ball field, to the hospital, to jail, that you would share the message of hope with those who have none. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are you're good to us, that you love us when we're unlovable. God, I pray two things this morning. One, if there is anyone in this room, man, who was fighting you tooth and claw, who, who for whatever reason, deep in their heart know they're not a follower of you. Deep down they know they have no hope. Deep down they know they are broken. Deep down they know they want something that is real, that is alive, that would change them, that would give them hope. God, would you show them that you are the answer this morning, that you are the, you are the only thing that can solve their greatest problems. And God, the second thing I want to pray this morning is would you create in this church a passion we're sharing the gospel where we live, work, play, so that we might see this city, this township, this county changed and transformed by the glory of Jesus for the good of this city, for the good of this area. We would see your love made manifest. God, would you work in these people here to give them passion and boldness and courage to share the gospel where they've in the past lived in fear. If you're in here this morning and you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to just ask those questions in a non-threatening, easy way, I'm standing up here, our deacons are up here, would love to just chat with you a little bit about that. Love to answer your questions. If you're here this morning and you need to pray about anything, I'd love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. We would love for you to come just kneel at these steps if you would like to do that. But however the Spirit tugs your heart this morning, do not fight Him. Do not suppress Him. Just submit to Him. Just give in to Him and say, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a shot. He won't lead you astray. He loves you more than you love yourself. Jesus, give us strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Proclaim the power and might of 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy It's been a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, just two things. One, remember Thanksgiving dinner tonight, 530. If you're a guest, even would love to invite you after that. If you if you're a guest this morning and joined us for the first time, we have a gift, a gift for you we'd like to give you. Uh, right as you walk through this door, that table on the left, we'd love to, to give that to you. And I'm going to be standing out there. If you're a guest, would you please just come introduce yourself to me? I'd love to get to know you. Um, promise not to talk your head off, but I'd love to just meet you. Uh, let's be dismissed with a benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go in peace. Stack chairs eight high.